Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Time for the second of your bi-weekly doses of Straight Outta Cobham, a podcast all about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, the Premier League is back and Chelsea are buzzing about their derby date. The women's team pick up their first win in the Champions League. We round up the international blues news and hear from Olivier Giroud on his time at Chelsea. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Outta Cobham. stacked show for you today listener joining me to discuss all the latest in the world of Chelsea Football Club are the great Sam Parkin good morning Matt good morning Sam and the Athletics Chelsea correspondent Liam Toomey who needs international football let's get back to it (laughs) right Liam I've got an important question for you to kick off from one of our long-standing and most valued listeners it's producer Lucy's dad and he's got it in his head that Edin Hazard is going to come back to Chelsea. I know you're on paternity leave at the moment, so your ear's not as close to the ground as usual, but surely this is nonsense and is not going to happen. I don't, I, I can't rule it out because I think Roman Abramovich would have every reason to love Edin Hazard for everything he did for Chelsea. And I think that you can see from the way Chelsea kind of handled Hazard's departure and the kind of the way it was so amicable on both sides underlines the regard that he's held in still within the Chelsea hierarchy. But I don't think it's a good move. <laughs> I don't think it's a good move for Chelsea at all. I don't think Thomas Tuchel would want it. Um, you could see towards the end of Hazard's time at Chelsea, while he was still a regular match winner and, and capable of spectacular moments, um, goals, assists, he didn't press. He didn't play to the team system. Everything had to kind of be geared around accommodating the things that he didn't do. In much the same way that you've seen, kind of with later years, Lionel Messi, um, it, there, there was a similar sort of trade-off going on, and Chelsea didn't have anyone as good as Hazard, so it was a trade-off they were happy to make. But now, everything in this Tuchel team is built on the collective system: defending, attacking, pressing, creating high high turnovers. I just don't see a way that Hazard fits into this team. As sad as that is, because I think. Um, you know, watching him every single week was uh, one of the most enjoyable parts of my job. And I, I'd love to watch him again at Chelsea and in the Premier League, but I just don't think it would be a smart move on Chelsea's part. Uh, and you also can't rule out the possibility that he's a diminished player physically by just all the injuries that he's had since he's gone to Real Madrid. Uh, so I can understand why it would tug at the heartstrings of some Chelsea fans, including uh, Papa Oliver. But I, I don't think it really uh, makes sense. Sammy's probably the best player I've seen in a Chelsea shirt, but you just don't go back, do you? It hardly ever works out in football. And Liam's right, he, he is a diminished player. We've seen that. He might not even get a start every week. And he can't improve on what he did at Chelsea already, can he really? No, I think it, it would be, be different if there'd been you know, more flashes of 
of brilliance since he's been at, at Madrid. But no, I, I agree with Liam, you know, the way that this team set up under Thomas Tuchel, I think it would be it would be difficult for him to, you know, replicate those goals and assists with the the intensity, I suppose, that Thomas Tuchel wants to play at. But yeah, I mean, nothing would surprise you in football, but yeah, I can't see this happening now. And and with the injuries, with the condition that he's probably in now, there's the, the concern that he'd come back and it would be a disaster. So I think it would be a gamble probably too far. Yeah, picked up another injury on uh, international duty with Belgium recently as well, didn't he? Speaking of which, let's check in with those international blues next. Plenty of Chelsea involvement in the midweek World Cup qualifiers. Here are some of the headlines. On Tuesday, Germany became the first European nation to book their spot at the finals. They beat North Macedonia 4-0. Timo Werner scored twice. Kai Havertz was also on the score sheet. Uh, Liam, that's one in the eye for Dom after he buried Havertz in our midterm reports on Monday. Probably what inspired him here. You guys never need a second invitation to bury Havertz. Nothing surprises me. Um, <laughs> it's just good news for for Tuchel, isn't it? I think, I think as much Werner as Havertz, um, both of them have have struggled for confidence at times in in the first acts of their Chelsea careers. Werner, in particular, seems to be getting a little bit more momentum. And I think if you look if you look back more broadly on his career since he kind of emerged at RB Leipzig. He's a very streaky scorer. He was as cold as he can possibly get last season. And I always thought there was no way he could be that bad this year. Um, and there are positive signs now that, that he won't be, that he, you know, he's, he's starting to put some goals together. And I think if he can do that, he'll get more regular minutes alongside Lukaku. He'll take some of the load off Lukaku and, and make Chelsea a better attacking team. Havertz just needs to put a little bit more good performances together as well. Because as I said last time, you know, I think it's been a bit disappointing given that he, given how strongly he finished last season, that he hasn't really carried it into this one. So, anything he can do for Germany that sets him sets him up to uh, put one in Dom's eye when he gets back in a Chelsea shirt is is a positive. Yeah, and Werner now four in five for club and country. Uh, Mason Mount, meanwhile, started in a three man midfield for England in their one all draw with Hungary at Wembley. Uh, Sam, that didn't work. No, no, it didn't, and. You know, I don't know how much of that was was down to a good performance from the opposition, but it, it didn't work. And it's very rare that he doesn't uh, produce a pass that ends up in being a chance or has a shot himself. Um, and, it, and he didn't on 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 Wednesday. Didn't um, get a shot off at all, which is very surprising. You know, even in um, a different role for him, you know, playing as a, a number eight, but it seemed to be something they'd worked on. He didn't spend a lot of time centrally. He was pulling wide, which meant Grealish was having the flexibility to go elsewhere, but it, it didn't really work. But I mean, he's played so much football. I saw an article which said he's played 142, well, 142 appearances since the start of 1920, which seems an incredible amount of games. Short turnover after the the Euros. So, Maybe he's just struggling a little bit with a bit of fatigue. Certainly his his end product something that I've spoke about quite often on this podcast and his little bit of zip and his decision-making around the 18-yard box has not been quite on point. So I don't know. I think given the Southampton result, um, he's not going to walk back into this team. But I think in that front three, um, you know, that's that's his position now certainly I'd be surprised if Chelsea was to match Brentford up and play kind of a 3-5-2 I think it'd be the 3-4-3 and wouldn't be surprised to see Mason Mount in one of those forward positions 
I feel like if you wanted to craft an argument against biennial World Cups and more international tournaments every summer, beyond Thibaut Courtois speaking his mind after a game, you'd just hold up Mason Mount and Pedri. Two young players who look like they're, they're going, they should be top players in Europe for the next 10 years. Um, but they're playing a worrying amount of football and a worryingly little amount of recovery time. And, you know, Mount is never going to sit himself down because it's not his attitude. It's not it's not the attitude that's got him here. He wants to, he played through two ankle injuries in, in his breakthrough season under Lampard. And he's always put himself forward for England, regardless of his level of fitness. So I think sometimes players need to be protected from themselves at times. And, you know, I don't, we don't know for certain that Mount is is tired. We do know that he has every reason to be. <laughs> given the amount of football that he's played. And I'm sure that's something that Thomas Tuchel will be considering. Uh, elsewhere, Andreas Christensen was part of the Denmark side that sealed qualification for next year's finals. They beat Austria. They've got a perfect record in their group. And in Africa, Edouard Mendy played the 90s. His Senegal beat Namibia 3-1 to progress to the final stage of qualifying. Right, next we'll talk about a big night for the women's team on Wednesday. Here's Harder. Kurt. Now to Kirby. Here's Sam Kerr. Great block now, Harder. It's another goal for the visitors. This time, it's Penilla Harder. Who else would it be? They took full advantage, Chelsea, and they're back in front. Chelsea's women played the second game of their inaugural Women's Champions League group stage campaign. Emma Hayes' team were in Turin to take on Juventus and they returned with three points after a hard-fought 2-1 win. Erin Cuthbert had Chelsea ahead just after the hour, only for Juve to equalise shortly after. But for the third game in a row, the Blues were indebted to Padilla Harder. She hit the match winner midway through the second half to take her total to 32 goals in 40 Champions League games. Uh, Liam, you are a lot younger than Sam and I, and you watch American sports, so you'll be able to tell me if I'm right in saying that Panilla Harder is a clutch player at the moment. Is that the correct terminology? <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's uh, watching American sports versus just like being on Twitter and talking about sports on Twitter. Um, right, she certainly seems to be. I mean, she doesn't seem to have the most prolific record for Chelsea, particularly domestically, but as we've seen for many, many years, she is a big game player, clutch, as it were. Um, and uh, well, actually, clutch particularly refers to scoring in the last few minutes, really, of a game, like a big chance. I think that's what Ronaldo fans would would talk about with him. Um, but she's certainly a player, you know, in the mould maybe of someone like Didier Drogba. Um, he, if you had a final to win tomorrow. She'd be pretty high on your list of players that you'd pick. Uh, in the other game in that group, by the way, Wolfsburg hammered Servette 5-0. So they're top of the group ahead of the Blues on goal difference. Chelsea's next game in that competition is away to the Swiss side on the 9th of November. No WSL action this weekend. Uh, next today, we'll look ahead to the return of the Premier League. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? 
FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So, Chelsea are back in action this weekend, and it'll be a brand new experience for the Blues as they visit the Brentford Community Stadium for the first time to take on the newly promoted Bees. Jay Harris is the Brentford correspondent for The Athletic, and he joins us now. Uh, Jay, promotion several years in the making for Brentford, really, but but despite the wait, they must be thrilled with how they've started life in the top flight. Yeah, definitely. Every time I speak to people, I think what's important to get across is that I think relegation, avoiding relegation rather, is the key thing for Brentford this season. But some of the results and the performances have just taken everybody's breath away. Everybody's going to talk about Arsenal on that opening night. But obviously I was in the stadium for the free-all draw against Liverpool and the place was flying. It was even better than the Arsenal match. And I think it's because they realised a lot of people were thinking, you know, Arsenal opening night of the season, first ever game in the Premier League, first time in the top flight in 74 years. It would have been impossible for them to lose that game. But actually, their performances since have kind of backed up that this is a really good team. They didn't get promoted by fluke. They're one of the best teams in the championship for the last two or three seasons. I think they're proven to everybody that they've got a squad that's filled with talent. Most of our listeners will be familiar with Ivan Tony. He's obviously taken a lot of the headlines. Who else has stood out in terms of sort of consistent performers thus far? I think obviously Brian and Bumo is another one, really talented player. I think once he kind of gets that consistency in terms of his finishing in front of goal, people are only going to be um, more aware of his ability. But looking further back, I think Vitaliano in central midfield is going to be absolutely incredible. They only bought him for £500,000 from uh, VFL Bochum in Bundesliga 2 last year. And he is going to be absolutely incredible. He must be worth at least £15 million now. He's looked brilliant since the start of the season. And then Chris Iyer as well. Um, obviously, a few more people were familiar with him from his time at Celtic. But I think he's six foot five. And what's impressed me the most is how graceful he is on the ball. Yes, he's very quick. He's very strong in the air. But actually, he's very comfortable at passing the ball out from the back and carrying it up the pitch as well. Jay, we know how well um, well the reputation that Brentford have got for recruiting players. But is it taking you a little by surprise how well the likes of Aya and Onyeke and um, sort of have settled in, I suppose, to, to life in the Premier League? Um, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that when I was first watching them just kind of hit the ground running, I was like, oh my word, what is going on here? Like Chris Iyer looks as if he's been playing with, with Ethan Pinnock and Pontus Janssen for years. And he only played with them once in pre-season because of some issues with his paperwork. But um, I've had the chance to kind of ask Chris after a game since. And he said, you know what? This club's such an incredibly tight-knit group. All of the players have been absolutely fantastic with me. Obviously, there's a massive Scandinavian presence there anyways. So it's enabled him to settle in a little bit more. He's re- really close with Pontus, really close with Ethan. And Frank Onyeka as well. He was someone that was known to the club for a long time because he's been at Michelin. So it wasn't as if they just he just came on their radar this summer. That was a deal that had the pandemic not happened, they probably would have pursued last year anyways. So I think when Brentford scout and recruit players, it's a really, really long process. So then when they do come into the club, they know how these players work, they know how they act and they know how to get the best out of them very quickly. Brentford had a tougher time than most um, getting out of the championship. Not an easy division to get out of, but they had a couple of 
agonising disappointments before they finally made it to the Premier League. Is there a sense that maybe now that they're here, because of everything they've been through to get get here as a club, they're even more determined to kind of enjoy themselves and, and, and play with freedom and really make the most of it? And more broadly, how much do you think um, Thomas Frank has been responsible for, for kind of setting the really positive tone that seems to be around the club at the moment? On your um, first point, definitely. Whenever I speak to the fans, for one, they're just like, do you know what, whatever happens this year, we just want to enjoy the journey. We've never, you know, most of these guys that I speak to were supporting Brentford back, you know, when they were at Griffin Park in League Two, League One. They've been to all the nasty grounds of the country, shall we say. So they just want to absolutely love going to the Etihad, going to Stamford Bridge, going to the Emirates Stadium. And when I speak to the players, it's the exact same. Some of these players have been in, you know, the Championship, the League One. They've been players who, like Ivan Tony, for example, got a small taste of Premier League life many, many years ago. And he's had to drop back down to come back up to experience it. So again, when I speak to the players, they're just like, do you know what? We're loving every single second of it. We don't take it for granted. Being able to come up against these teams is is amazing. And on the second point, I think it's not, obviously it's not just Thomas Frank that's responsible for it. I really do think it's the structure at Brentford. Just the way from the top down to the bottom, everybody is aligned and thinking in the same way. And when you've got a club who don't make knee-jerk decisions, You've got to remember when Thomas Frank first joined the club, he well, first became head coach, he lost eight of his first 10 games. But the people higher up have said, you know, we believe in this man. We know what he does on the coaching field. And any player you speak to, whether it's Ben Rama, Watkins, Romain Sawyers, all these players that have come through the club and gone on to, you know, to bigger teams will all tell you how much of a good man manager Thomas Frank is and how good he is at just eking a little extra out of these players. Uh, before we let you go, Jay, there's going to be about 2,000 Chelsea supporters in attendance on Saturday. I'm sure some of them are listening now. What what are they in for? What kind of experience is it watching football at the Brentford Community Stadium? So I think I've been to three games. They've had three Premier League games at home so far. And uh, the atmosphere has been amazing at every one. Obviously, it's been Arsenal, Brighton and Liverpool. And Arsenal and Liverpool, understandably, the level was a, just a little bit extra, shall we say. And obviously, Chelsea, West London derby maybe not to you guys as much, but certainly to Brentford, that's the way they look at it, especially with no Fulham and QPR to play against. I think the fans are going to be really fired up for it. And the good thing about um, the Brentford Community Stadium is because it's so small and compact, noise really kind of stays in the ground. And like I said, that, that game against Liverpool, there's no roof on the place, but I generally thought like we were going to lift off into another dimension. It was crazy. So I think Chelsea fans should expect the Brentford fans to be really on it, singing throughout the whole game. But from the players themselves, I think what you'll appreciate and understand a little bit more about Brentford is just how intense they are. As football fans, we get very, it's very easy to say, oh, they're intense or they, they press, but no, watch Brentford and you'll understand just how energetic this team are. So if Jorginho's on the ball and he's coming out from the back on the edge of his box, just be prepared for, for Brentford. And, you know, I'm talking like Christian Norgar, Vitaliano, Ivan Tony to be chasing him all over the place. I think it'll be a really entertaining game. Yeah, looks like a good one. I would say enjoy it, but that would be a bit disingenuous. So I'll just say best of luck for the rest of the season. Uh, Jay, great having you on. We'll speak to you again soon. An absolute pleasure, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, Chelsea-wise then, Liam, it's always tough to predict a a lineup post-international break, but but I wonder if any of those who've stayed at Cobham over the last fortnight have got a decent chance of starting here. Uh, Simon's got a piece up on, on Hakim Ziyech and, and his struggles so far, but he's not been away. So so maybe somebody like him or a, or a Callum or a Ruben or a, or a Trev Chaloba might get a start? 
Yeah, quite possibly. Um, I wonder how much the midweek game against Malmo will will factor into Thomas Tuchel's thinking because in normal situations when you've got a really big Champions League game, say if Chelsea had Juventus midweek, that would be the kind of game that would affect um, selection for a game like this. But given that Chelsea will expect to win that Malmo game regardless, I could see Tuchel probably going with what he believes is his strongest eleven right now for this Brentford game. The more interesting question is what actually is that strongest eleven? Because I, I think Ruben Loftus-Cheek has got a decent argument for having played his way at least to the kind of fringes of it um, with every time he's been on the pitch recently. Ziyech, as Simon pointed out, is one of the many in this squad really that have a bit more to prove, particularly in the attacking half of the pitch. I, I think beyond Lukaku, you could craft an argument for pretty much for or against any of the forwards that, that Tuchel has to pick from. So it's a difficult one, but it's important that Chelsea get it right because, as you know, as Jay referenced, this is a dangerous game for Chelsea. Brentford are a good team. Um, and at this stage of the season, a lot of teams in the Premier League don't necessarily know what they are yet. They might have a new coach or a load of new players. You can maybe even say that about Chelsea to an extent, trying to work in Lukaku and reconfigure their attack. But Brentford know exactly what they are. Um, they've They've got great momentum right now. And they've waited four years to to play Chelsea again. Um, so they're going to have to really be on it from the start. So that leads me to my next question then, Sam. Given that Chelsea are coming off the back of an international break, that, that Arsenal have had their pants pulled down here already and Liverpool only, only left with a point, what's a good result for Chelsea in this game? Oh, um, you'd have to say a point would be, wouldn't be a disaster uh, considering the way that they've, they've, they've started. Um, but I don't know. It's you're going to get games where Brentford aren't able to maintain the, the level that they probably showed uh, in those two fixtures. Brighton being the obvious case so far, where they weren't able to to get maximum points. So I think Chelsea can still obviously cause them huge problems. Uh, it's getting it right, I think, defensively. You know, the, the set pieces where Brentford have caused huge problems for the opposition. It's a different type of Brentford that are intent on playing a style of football that maintains their Premier League status rather than some other sides that have, have come up and really stuck to their principles. I think there's been a bit of a change at Brentford in that um, they're not having as much possession, certainly, as they had in the in the Championship. So it probably means that Ivan Tony and Brian and Bomo will get the ball slightly earlier and that will be a challenge. But when Chelsea have the ball, they'll have the lion's share of... Uh, of um, possession and it'll be up for those forward players some that Liam mentioned some that maybe go into this game with the freshness with the the memory of the Southampton game still clear in their mind and 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 will have to cause the the opposition defense problems but yes a difficult game but you know I, I expect there to be times in this season when Brentford's um, intensity drops and you know maybe we'll see that at the weekend I think Chelsea need to win if they're going to be maintaining a title challenging standard this season um, with everything that we've just said, it will be a very tricky game. It's another London derby. Chelsea have already had quite a few of those this season, but these are the games you need to grind out if you want to actually win the league, particularly with the the level of quality that, that Chelsea are competing against at the top of the table this year. There were so many of these games in the Antonio Conte season away in a really hostile atmosphere where they just, ground out a 1-0 win. You know, it wasn't pretty. 
Um, it was a battle at times, but these are the games you have to you have to find a way, even if it's not necessarily your preferred way. You need to find a way if you if you want to actually be lifting that trophy in May. Yeah, and a win would give Chelsea the opportunity, you think, to to kick on and have a good run. Next three games, all in three different competitions, but at home to Malmo, Norwich and Southampton. So hopefully a chance to put a bit of form together. Uh, Brentford versus Chelsea kicks off at 5.30pm UK time on Saturday. We'll handle the fallout on Monday's pod. Next today, bonjour Olivier. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Earlier this week, The Athletic's David Ornstein had a chat with Olivier Giroud on a wide range of subjects, including his time at Chelsea. We can hear some of that now. First, he spoke of the differences between Chelsea and Arsenal. Well, uh, at Chelsea, when you are not scoring enough goals as a striker, they might, uh, year after, pick up another (laughs) striker to replace you. I could say maybe uh, in a club like Chelsea, um, you have less time to uh, show your qualities than at Arsenal. Mm. That's the main difference. And uh, also, obviously, the 10 past years uh, shows that uh, Chelsea... uh, has won more trophies, um, so but with maybe more um, more investments, uh, they spend much more money than Arsenal, and yeah, the philosophy is is different. Um, yeah, there, yeah, there might be something um, that uh, make uh, Chelsea wins more trophies than Arsenal. Maybe the we are more demanding at Chelsea because uh, you have to fight for the title, you know, from the start of the season. If you are not uh, like uh, Frank, uh, we were maybe ninth when uh, he's been sacked. So um, basically, uh, maybe at Ars- if it was at Arsenal, they would have left him li- li- more time, you know, to come back. And But Chelsea never happened. And that's why... Um, 
you have to be uh, good uh, sooner, like uh, uh, when you can at Chelsea. Uh, Sam, that ruthlessness, which is often used as a stick to beat Chelsea, is why they're European champions. So you have to say it's fair enough in terms of the contrasting approaches from the two clubs that that Giroud talks about there. Yeah, it, definitely. But it's you'd only be human to have a bit of sympathy with the way Olivier Giroud's um, career, certainly latterly in the Premier League, went. And you know, even in his final knockings at Arsenal, he wasn't always a, a first choice. I think there was there were, there were moments in the in the Chelsea career where I felt he should have played more often, but. You know, it was the the managers at the time at their discretion. I think, obviously, latterly Lampard wanted to go with Tammy Abraham because he'd been very successful during his loan periods. Um, probably the way that he wanted to play, there was, um, you know, uh, that the legs of Tammy at the top end of the pitch was probably more suited to that style. So I understood it, but I, I certainly felt that his form was good enough um, to get more opportunities, more runs and... Um, I think the goals in the Europa and then subsequently in the Champions League kind of backed that up. So, yeah, I did have sympathy with him, but we know that the uh, the fight for places is so fierce at Chelsea. If you're not doing it for one or two games, you'll get replaced, and that's not the same in, in some of the other Premier League big guns. Right, the next clip we'll hear is Giroud talking about his feelings at not making the starting lineup for the Champions League final. I had these... This mix of feelings, you know, of nostalgia, um, a bit of uh, sadness, and I didn't understand why um, I couldn't uh, play a bigger part, you know, in uh, in our in in our success, you know, and even more because I was the top scorer of the Champions League uh, of our team, you know. So, but I believe, I believe, I I, I said I I was a bit angry, but I. I, I just didn't show it because the most important thing is um, the the team, you know, for keeping for to keep the the, the team cohesion and uh, and obviously it was um, an amazing moment. So I did I just kept kept it in my um, in uh, for me. But yeah, it it was frustrating. It it was very very frustrating. And um, at the end of the day, I was so happy to win that competition that I contribute uh, well to with the team uh, to win it but yeah it was it was the time for me to leave the club and uh, I spent three uh, years and a half amazing with trophies with uh, the cup uh, Europa League and Champions League competitions in uh, which I, I, I score a lot of goals so I was very happy but the, the end was frustrated. Uh, Liam obviously he's going to be disappointed about that it's, it's totally understandable any player would be but it was fair enough at the time, wasn't it? I know he'd scored loads of goals on the road to the final, but he'd hardly played in the build-up to the actual game. Yeah, and it and the way the game panned out, it wasn't a game for him. Chelsea had a, a clear game plan to exploit Manchester City's high line. And you don't do that with a veteran, Olivier Giroud, who is always shown for the ball and actually can't run in behind. It's where the Chelsea goal came from. Havertz running into a a position behind the the city defense where you know Giroud would have been blocking that pass probably um i think chelsea might have struggled to get out if he'd have been as a sort of focal point number 9 i can understand from his point of view as a proud professional uh that he that he wanted to play i'm sure he wasn't the only disappointed player in that chelsea dressing room 
it's a Champions League final and he he knows he's probably not going to get there again. But he's got his medal um, and he's got that overhead kick against Atletico Madrid as much as anything. I think that was very much the tie for him, you know, against the deep lying, bruising team. He made the difference and scored a crucial goal that I think, you know, really began to give Chelsea belief that they could win the competition. So that was a, a big, big goal. And I think that's the one he should hang his hat on. Right, the final clip we're going to hear is Giroud explaining why he felt Thomas Tuchel was able to succeed where Frank Lampard could not. I would say maybe the experience of Thomas Tuchel uh, made, made maybe the difference at the end of the day and uh, the way he just adapt uh, to the team and he played in a different shape. Um, we are the same players, so it, it's true that it's a bit... Um, Difficult to say um, what happened, but I think uh, sometimes when a team um, is not in a good run, you know, you just need to to change one thing to make it make it better and to to start a new um, a new journey. Obviously, tactically, we've been working a lot on the tactic. You know, Thomas Tuchel wanted to play uh, a certain way, you know, and uh, his philosophy was. Uh, clear and uh, and we improve so much tactically so uh, I, I believe uh, he brings us uh, this um, demanding uh, exigence exigence like um, in in our game and uh, well we, we we've been uh, solid solid and uh, and successful uh, until the end of the season and uh, but Frank Lampard uh, was uh, was Maybe, as he said, also maybe a bit um, a bit young in his in in his. Um, I mean, not young, but it was a bit too early, maybe in his uh, in his manager career to take a club uh, like Chelsea. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but maybe you can explain uh, this by by that. Uh, Sam, I'm interested to get your take on this one. Obviously, not much of an age gap between Frank Lampard and Olivier Giroud. I don't know if you ever had that at any point in your career with managers. And, and does that make life difficult, slightly awkward for players or for the manager if you, if there's not that kind of generational gap between you? I think it can do. I think even more so if you've you've played with the, the person that takes over. Um, not, not in this case, but I, I think it can be tricky. And I think Olivier Giroud was was honest there, and I think there's quite a lot of truth in what he's saying. In that, it's the, the decision making, that experience on the on the touchline, and you take away everything that Frank Lampard was as a player and what he achieved, outstanding. And I, I think there's every chance he could go on to be a great success as a manager. But that decision making, that in game changes that you that you have to make to decide football matches you know whether you're going to shore things up or whether you're going to make an attacking change I think that only comes with having two three four five years in the dugout or whatever it it may be so you know irrelevant of how good um, Lampard was as a player I think that's what separates him from Tuchel and Klopp and people like that right now because I think unless you're in the dugout and you're you've had season after season where you're um, where you're making these result defining decisions um you know that that comes with time. So, yeah, I mean, I'll always, I'll always think that maybe it was slightly too early for, for Lampard, and I think that's how it's proved. But 
Yeah, I think I think he's very fair with that. And I think Tuchel coming in and, and changing the system as he did, you know, was twofold. You had a, a really experienced manager that came in who, who knows how to change matches uh, in-game, but also set the team up brilliantly. Giroud's not the first Chelsea player to say something like this about the coaching change. We had Jorginho a few months ago making a very similar point about Lampard's relative inexperience, albeit in slightly blunter terms. And there's there's no shame in saying really that, that Tuchel is an upgrade on Lampard. That's no disgrace to Lampard at all. Because Tuchel, there are a handful of coaches in the world that are as good as Thomas Tuchel. That was already pretty clear before he got the Chelsea job. It's abundantly clear now with what he's achieved at Chelsea. Um, and and Lampard was was only in his second coaching gig. So he's got plenty of time to to build out his his coaching skill set, build up his experience and and coach at this level again. Um Tuchel had more than a decade coaching before um he got to Chelsea. So I just think it's a fair point that Giroud makes that that Jorginho makes. They would probably know because they were there, but it's it's certainly no disgrace to Lampard. Well, keep across the Athletic, and you can see the full interview with David and Olivier Giroud. All right, we're on the home straight now, but there's always time for a quiz on our Thursday pods. Liam, you're new to this, but I know you've been chomping at the bit to get involved. Uh, three questions each, loosely Chelsea versus Brentford related. Here we go, Liam, you're up first. The last time the teams met was in the FA Cup at Stamford Bridge in 2017. Chelsea won 4-0. Which two players started that game that are still at the club now? The club being Chelsea. Why did I switch from Monday to Thursday? Why did I do this? <laughs> um... Which two players started that game? Mm. Do you realise how many footballers that Chelsea still have, Matt? How big yes. a list that is of potential players. Um, 27, Ruben Loftus-Cheek? Correct. DB1. And Ross Barkley? No, he was there. No? Always default okay. to say Zaraz Piliqueta in these kind of oh, situations. Of course, yeah. Were you going to steal that, Sam? Yeah, Sorry. half a point. Sorry. All right. Um, well, you take the moral point in that one. Uh, okay. <laughs> Sam, your first question comes from that aforementioned cup tie. Uh, a former Chelsea player started in midfield for Brentford that day. Name that midfielder. Um, it's got to be Josh McEachern, hasn't it? It was Josh McEachern, yes. So I don't know if we're calling that one all or one versus half. No, one uh, one each, come on. Okay. We can tally up the moral points separately at the end, all right? <laughs> okay, right, yeah. Uh, Liam, this is your second question. Last month, Brentford signed Danish defender Matthias Jorgensen, who was a free agent after leaving Fenerbahce. He has a nickname on the back of his shirt rather than his name, which is absolutely disgraceful. The Premier League shouldn't sanction it. What is the nickname and where does it come from? Well, I know the nickname Zanka. Yeah. Um, I don't know where it comes from. Sam, do you? No, I, I did read that. I did read his nickname this morning, actually, but no, can't help you there. Right, it's after a character who was actually called Sanka with an S from the film Cool Runnings. One of his <laughs> coaches said he looked a bit like him, and that's enough to get that on the back of your shirt in the Premier League. I mean, Michael, call me Michael nearly Cox 40, would but that be is livid. 
but yeah, and me too, quite rightly. It's it's Cunaguero, it, it's it's Chicharito all over again. Absolutely dreadful business. Uh, all right, let's move on from that unpleasantness. Sam, here's your second question. Uh, in what decade did Brentford's most recent win against Chelsea come? Oh, no idea. Um, 1970s. Way before that, I'm afraid. It was the was 1930s. It? Yeah, went at home in 38 and then at the bridge a year later. Um, I remember it well. <laughs> All right, back to the modern day for your final question, Liam. How many first team appearances has Miles Pert Harris made for Brentford since joining them from Chelsea over the summer? Oh, it can't be many. Um, I'm going to say two. You're incorrect, I'm afraid. One substitute appearance. He got 20 minutes in the 7-0 League Cup win against Oldham last month. Uh, So that is one out of three for you. Sam, therefore, if you get this right, you win. Obviously, it's your obligatory social media question. Straightforward this week. Who's got more followers on Twitter the official Brentford account or Ruben Loftus-Cheek? I will go for Brentford. You'd think so, wouldn't you? I'm afraid to say you're incorrect, which means it's a draw this week. Ruben has got 537,500 followers. Brentford, pathetic, 223,000 followers is all Not doing got. enough funnies, clearly. No, Ruben's more engaged, handsome than Brentford as well. That's true, yeah. But yeah, you know, I wouldn't say he's a particularly active Twitter user. So come on, guys, Brentford, get get going with that. Can I just add as well that if we're tallying up moral points, when you asked me the the starters against Brentford in 2017, I had Chelsea's head to head page against Brentford open on Soccer Base on my tabs, and I didn't look. Okay, well that's good. why I got it wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, I should sort of put a block on soccer base for you guys for this point of a Thursday morning because it'd be quite easy to get through most of the quiz otherwise. Um, well, there you go. A draw a draw's a fair result, probably, albeit it, it renders it slightly pointless, but there'll be another one of those next week. Uh, we're nearly done. I just wanted to give a quick mention to Chelsea's under-21s progressing to the knockout stages of the Papa John's Trophy on Wednesday after they won 2-1 at Bristol Rovers. An own goal and a Lewis Baker strike ensured Chelsea go through with a game to spare. Uh, Sam, it's almost like the League One and League Two teams don't take this competition particularly seriously. <laughs> I'm still a little bit thrown that Lewis Baker scored. Uh, incredible scenes. Um, seems to play Bristol Rovers every year in this competition. Um, I don't know. It's having been a a uh, journeyman, experienced player, it's coming towards the tail end of my career when this competition was kind of thrust upon you. You didn't want to play in it, to be honest, when you, especially when, you know, I would imagine now that the um, the academy sides are thrown in. But the other side of the coin is, for, for those guys, it's a trip to Wembley when you get to the latter stages or, you know, when it gets competitive, you take it more seriously. And for the young players, I've seen what a benefit it's been covering the games at Chelsea for, for their younger players. Um, brilliant experience. You know, I remember... Them coming up against, I think Trevor Chaloba was probably in the side, coming up against Swindon a few years ago and getting knocked about. And, you know, it's really, it's vital that they can get these type of games. Whether it's enough to make a difference, I'm not so sure. But I could obviously see the the, the positives that it brings, but um, that's not going to make the EFL clubs enjoy it any further, unfortunately. 
No, great experience for the youngsters and also 26-year-old Lewis Baker. Uh, right, that'll just about do it for us this week. If you want more Chelsea content, head to The Athletic where you can read Dom's piece on the John Obi Mikel transfer and its ramifications for others. Simon's got something up on Hakeem Ziyech and Rafa Honigstein has done a big interview with Demba Bar. Uh, Liam, are you looking forward to watching the Brentford game from the comfort of your sofa? I am, yes. Uh, I don't know how many nappy changes are going to interrupt my viewing experience, but we live in hope. Um, can I just say that Denver Bar interview is fantastic? Uh, I read it this morning, so definitely seek that one out. He, he he seems like such a great personality and a really smart guy as well. Big fan of strawberry syrup um, is the one thing that we all know about Denver Bar. Uh, where in the wide world of football will you be this weekend, Sam? I'm not. Uh, at the, the risk of... Losing further listeners, boring the listeners. Um, I'm preparing for another uh, big event in my life. So I've uh, taken the decision to stay at home for the next four or five days, just in case another baby arrives slightly <laughs> early. <laughs> Excellent. We'll keep you up to date with that, listener. Uh, don't worry. We will be back on Monday. We'll be looking ahead to the return of the Champions League, amongst other things. Do join us if you can. Until then, from Sam, from Liam, from producer Lucy and myself, many thanks for your company today. Have a great weekend. The Athletic.